This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Other Space, Episodes 7 and 8. An alien entered my mind while I was sleeping and tried to speak to me. Uh, Wait, guys, so where are you going? Stuart, we get it. You're bummed because you're not going home with any magic space trophies. You dreamed of an alien, mystery solved, let's go. No, 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 this might have been first contact, okay? This was a for real intelligent come in peace type alien, not some lying fungus with great hair. Oh, Chad, I yeah, miss Chad, him. yeah. I miss him too. Whatever happened to him anyway? He exploded, we killed him. Ah, that's right. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast made of boron. I'm Luke, <laughs> here with my co-host Jordan. <laughs> What's real Jordan? <laughs> I, don't I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> I don't, it was know, funny. I don't know it why was, either. It was, it's funnier that it wasn't the show. <laughs> All right. Well, this week, for the last episode of Other Space, we're joined by a returning guest. Welcome back, Nico. Hi, guys. How you doing? Oh, we're having a giddy old time over here. <laughs> it's too early, that's why. Well, yeah. You know, with the, with the clocks moving forward, I've had about three hours worth of sleep, which is what I feel like luke feels like after watching one of these episodes <laughs> were, were you dancing last night <laughs> no no I, I just i just had i had a whale of a time i just stayed inside got drunk off of subisby and watched the show <laughs> <laughs> well now that we've brought you back to the show uh it's for a reason we're told that you are a, a true fan of other space so we thought we'd bring you on to give it a fair shake uh yeah i mean it's you know leaps and bounds better than the pieces of shit you brought me on previously <laughs> what did you watch previously it was all british stuff yeah i forget oh day of the triffids yeah that was all right yeah and then coming back uh come back mrs noah <laughs> which i i listened to you guys one of you guys episodes on this show and you keep comparing it to that travesty <laughs> i have a question for you had you seen other space when we did come back mrs noah i don't know okay I, I was yeah. just wondering, because after we watched one of these episodes, there's a robot chicken laying eggs, and I was like, where was Nico on this? Oh, I, I, I still, that <laughs> still is steered into my dreams on an almost like weekly basis. <laughs> the chicken that shoots out a bicycle chain of eggs from its ass. <laughs> and then... I forget why they don't need it anymore, and then sucked it back up. <laughs> That's comedy like, cold. And then, and then it seeped into my brains. Honestly, I think about that at least once a week. <laughs> and then, I, again, listening to this podcast, and you were referring to come back, Mrs. Noah, as if it was better than this show. And I'm like, we watch the same thing we're not haunted by the same you know things well that's good though i'm glad you're a fan of other space it would be nice to bring someone in to like win us over to the show right at the end i mean i feel like this is a doomed enterprise but uh, do you think we brought you here to fail yes very much (laughs) all right before we begin though uh, we're gonna play a little game and that game is precast 
Yeah, precast. We're, it's like a recast, but we're going back in time, and we're pretending this show came out in a different year, and it uh, came out as a major motion picture. Yeah, and so I think I picked 1993. It was yeah. a big year. Big year for movies, big year for TV. And so I went all for it, just in case we, we're going to have the conversation. I think all my, all my picks are very good. And I put the ages of people because it's hard to remember how old people were at that time. You know? <laughs> Jesus, what a nut. I mean, that is the thing I wasn't thinking about at all. <laughs> no, you weren't thinking because I wanted it to be appropriate. I was looking at the ages, but I didn't like write them down exactly. I didn't write down that both dates. <laughs> Jordan put their heights down, their weights. Well, I wanted to make sure that the uh, the Stuart and Karen could plausibly be, you know, brother and sister. Did you check the star signs too? Yeah, who's laughing now? Do you think Jordan's fun to watch movies with? <laughs> Those two couldn't be brother and sister. Well, their heights are too far off. I mean, to be fair, in this show, Karen and Stuart don't look like biological brother and sisters. It's the future, Jordan. Be open-minded. All right. <laughs> I'll be open-minded in the future. <laughs> All right. Well, let's begin. We've got a bunch of cast to go in here. And I, I, I hope you enjoyed this exercise, Nico, because there's a lot of people to go through. <laughs> here is the first pick. Who will play, in 1993, Captain Stuart Lipinski? So, actually, I'm going to... Do Stuart and Karen at the same time. Okay, we can do that. Because I did John and Joan Cusack. Oh, oh. pretty good. I'm I'm impressed. I thought of John for the first one, and then I was just like, well, fuck it, I'll just do Joan for the second. I don't have to think about that one. Did you write down how old they are, though, so we know? <laughs> uh, I, I just Googled it. Uh, he was, uh, what, 25? 35. Oh. 25. I can't do math. Perfect. Perfect age. Well, uh, why don't you give me then uh, your uh, pick All right, for, so for both those two? My my picks for the Lipinski siblings were Billy Crystal and Catherine O'Hare. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, very different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'll give you mine, and then we'll see who, who we think works the best. Maybe it's a combination of them. So mine was... Michael J. Fox, Jodie Foster, who, by the way, Michael J. Fox was 32, Jodie Foster was 31. Wait, so you didn't choose age-appropriate people? Well, I picked people that are, like, within a year, you know. But, I mean, they're supposed to be new cadets. I know. I had to age them up because there's not enough 20-year-old people that are interesting. <laughs> Everyone's a little aged up in this. But Jodie Foster, Michael J. Fox, everyone likes them. That's. I mean, it's an interesting combo. I won't deny it. I mean, they're no Billy. They're no Billy Crystal <laughs> and Catherine O'Hare together. Oh, what a great combination! <laughs> well, what would they have just come off? He was like in just off of City Slickers. That's just off of City Slickers, and, and she's she... just at a Home Alone. Right, right. Question, Luke: How many Oscars had Billy Crystal already hosted? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a Jordan question. Oh, uh, I th I actually think he mostly did him after this. He was early to mid-90s, right? Anyways, doesn't matter. That's really nerdy. You can ask Jordan any Oscar question. He can answer <laughs> Okay, well, what do we think? I actually kind of like Nico's picks. I agree, actually. Joan and John Cusack is a great combo. I love it for this show. Okay, we got our stars. All right, Nailed don't get it. too arrogant, Nico. You're probably not going to get any others. Seems about right. Yeah. Okay, so who do, you, who do you have next? Michael Newman? Sure, we can do Michael Newman next. I have two picks for this. Oh, why don't you start us off? Okay, and I'm going to say... They're very, very different picks, 
and it depends on how you want to take this character because i think the character michael can go in many directions <laughs> the first one <laughs> is jean-claude van damme <laughs> joke but i had actually considered that okay so maybe it's not so bad and then taking it a wildly different direction and giving michael a lot more screen time eddie murphy oh yeah by the way jean-claude van damme 33 years old eddie murphy 32 years old jesus christ you've really gone for that early 30s vibe yes yeah well why don't i go next and we'll save nico for last (laughs) (laughs) i as you'll see from all of my picks, I had a very specific movie in my mind. Mm-hmm. So my uh, Michael Newman was Martin Short. Mm. I'm going to tell you, Martin Short is a pick for one of my other characters. No, there we go. Uh, and Nico, what about you? What are you What are you thinking for Michael here? Oh, I I couldn't really settle on this one. So again, I've gone in two <laughs> wildly different directions. And then I went for Steve Buscemi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or Chris Foley. Wow. <laughs> just just think, can you imagine an actual casting session like, well, we have three options for you. It's Steve Buscemi, Chris Farley, or Jean-Claude Van Damme. Who do you want for the role? <laughs> I mean, all very varied picks. I don't know which one we're going to go with. Well, I don't know. What do we think? Is there is there one that stands out for what this character is? I mean, it's going to start dictating what this movie is. I mean, I think this whatever we do with this one is going to be a real outlaw. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. I love Jean-Claude Van Damme because I think it's hilarious. But I think with John and Joan Cusack, I don't think he makes sense anymore. I do agree with that. And I think Eddie Murphy maybe is too big a star. For a side it, role? It, for a side role in, in at this point in his career. Nico, where, where are you leaning to? Ooh, I mean, I try to keep it to TV level stars, but at the same time, like... This is a major motion picture, my friend. We're making a lot of money yeah. on this. Well, you know what? Yeah, I would say throw in Eddie Murphy. I like that pick. Hmm. He likes Eddie Murphy. All right, let's do it. It's more of a cameo, maybe. He just pops yeah. in for a quick second. But let's bring Eddie Murphy onto this. I agree. Fantastic. Well, why don't we move on to Tina Shukshin? I'll start us off this time, just so we can do it a little bit different here. I, I was looking at this, and I'm like, I've got Martin Short. I've got Billy Crystal. I've got Catherine O'Hare. Who's the perfect Tina Shukshin? And it's got to be Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. I also have Whoopi Goldberg on my list, but not for this role. That's so funny. All right. Who do you got, Nico? Uh, so I went with a before she was famous, Amy Sedaris. Hmm. Oh, a very good pick. Yeah. that's It's really good. It's actually better. So I went I went with Star Power. Uh, and by the way, both these ladies were 35. Uh I put Michelle Pfeiffer or Sharon Stone. You have a disease, my friend, a mind <laughs> disease. But I like Amy Sedaris. I do too. Just taking a second to analyze the picks. What, a, what show have you been watching? I just I'm trying to I'm trying to up our game. This this thing's this thing's playing against Jurassic Park. You need some uh, star power. Well, no, you've got you've gone for Jody Foster. <laughs> <laughs> John Claude Van Damme, uh, Michael J. Fox, uh, Sharon Stone. Like this is some, you know, Silence of the Lambs shit. Right here. It's true. You're not picking comedians at all. Maybe, maybe Sharon Stone wants to do something funny for once. You know, Jordan's casting against time. 
But I agree. Let's let's go with Amy Sedaris. Let's give her her big break. Since we're producers in 1993 who can see the future. <laughs> All right, moving on. We've got Kent Woolworth. We'll start with Nico this time. Uh, okay, so I got two picks. One is like a dream pick. One is a <laughs> let's go for it. Uh, so the dream pick is Dan Aykroyd. Wow. Interesting. Uh, and then the second guy is Richard Kind. Oh, hmm. absolutely. I could see that. I went a very similar direction, I think, to where Nico's head's at. I went with Dana Carvey. Luke, Dana Carvey is on my list for not for this role. <laughs> what, is, what roles are left? The last ones. <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> what, well, Hold who, up, but what was what was your first pick, Nico? Uh, Dan Aykroyd. And you said that's your that's your dream, your dream man. Why did you why do you like Dan Aykroyd so much? His vodka. Well, no, by this point, he's already been, you know, Blues Brothers came out like 13 years before this. Like, he's already a global megastar. That's my dream pick, not because, mm. you know, if I could have dinner with three people, Dan Aykroyd would be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> he's he'd, he'd be fourth, though. <laughs> he's Yeah, he, he's high on the waiting list. <laughs> okay, I'll just give you quickly mine, but I don't really like him anymore. And also... Uh, they're too old because one's forty-two, one's forty-one at this point. Um, but I thought <laughs> I'd add a little bit of uh, a little little pizzazz, which is Robin Williams. And then I thought, let's turn it in an entirely different direction. As an organ donor, you would want Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's movie is a mess. <laughs> You came in here so hot that you thought you had this nailed down. Every pick is a mess. I think I'm I'm just like I, I'm the people who are financing the movie. I just keep giving out these big stars, and they're like, yes, yes, yes. You know, Jordan's been working in the studio for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Jodie Foster, Sharon Stone, Patrick Swayze, show me the buddy. Dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. <laughs> <laughs> so who are we going with? Nico, how are you feeling on this one? Uh, who did Who did you pick again? I was Dana Carvey. I was very much in the wheelhouse you were looking at. Yeah. Um, I was imagining him in that turtle, uh, when he's that turtle man in Master of Disguise for this role. Oh, man. And, and Nick, who's who's your again? I'm sorry. My memory's not great. Mine was Dan Aykroyd or Richard Kind. Mm, mm, I think I, Dana Carvey is the best one. Yeah, I'll, yeah I would agree with that because he, he does the kind of sad sack thing you need for Coming right off of Wayne's World to do this. All right, great. Thank you guys for giving me one. I appreciate it. <laughs> Here is the next pick. It's Zalian Fletcher. Jordan, start us off. Okay, well, I'm going to give you my the reason why I've had a couple of your people. I did Zalian and Art together as combos because I think those two have to go together. So the two picks were Steve Martin and Martin Short. For Zalian. Zalian and then Art would be Martin Short. Oh, and I then, see. And then my other option for Zalian and Art were your Wayne's World thing. It's Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Weird choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Nico, what do you think for this one? You <laughs> want to do Art as well? Yeah, sure. Because my original idea was for Zalian, Cheech and or Chong. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. So I'm going to steal Jordan's idea and... You know, I do Zalian as, I don't know, Cheech, and then Ott as Chong. I mean, I think that's how it would be cast in reality as well. Poor Chong would not get the human role. 
Well, I didn't do mine as a duo, but I think they'd work well now that I now that we're talking about it. For Zalian Fletcher, I had Robin Williams. There you go. And uh, for Art, Danny DeVito. Oh, I almost put Danny DeVito in one of these roles. I was going <laughs> to put him as Kent. Um, Cheech and Chong's hard to beat. I eh? think it's good. Do you want to? Do you want to somehow blow up your own choices, Nico? No, uh, you know you got to bring the Pez, guys. That, that's how you lock it in, two at a time. No Zonk this. But I did mention how I had Jean Claude Van Damme as one of my picks, right, everyone? <laughs> Wait, how about how about he plays Ott? <laughs> it's perfect guest. Yeah. All right. Finally, we of course have the computer, Natasha. Mm-hmm. I'll go first this time, I guess. Uh, I, I had a hard time with this one, trying to pick someone who is uh, the right level of sexy to be this robot computer. I went with Angelica Houston. Hmm. Fresh off Adam's family, I think. Right, right. And being cheated on by Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Anyways, for the Gossip Hounds in 1993. Jordan just knows Gossip from 93 <laughs> for some reason. Okay, I'll give you my two picks. There are two different very directions, but I wasn't sure if how we wanted this computer to act. So my first was Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. And everyone likes Whoopi. Uh, and then my second pick, this is full star power. It's 1993. Sleeping with the enemy. Pelican brief. Pretty woman. You got Julia Roberts, who, by the way, is 26 years old in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's hard drama version of this is really interesting. <laughs> Julia Roberts, Hook, you know? Neko, what are you thinking for the role of Natasha? I mean, I thought about Julia Roberts, but I was like, oh, do I cast the biggest megastar in the world in for a computer For a computer role. <laughs> she did Tinkerbell. That's Notoriously yeah. terrible on that set. That's why you wanted her. Yeah. Uh, no, but for Natasha, I went with uh, Stacey Dash. Mm. Who is that? She uh she became a real figurehead on uh on Fox News. <laughs> uh she was she was did you ever see Clueless? Yes. She's a friend in Clueless. <laughs> well, yeah. that one's that one's beyond me, but I I'll I'll defer to your two judgments on this one. And who was yours again, Luke? Angelica Houston. <laughs> I kind of still like Julia Roberts personally. I know, I'm I you know what? I'm digging because Natasha, you got to have the young up and comer to just be the screen in the background. And Stacey Dash was, I don't know, like 22 at the time or something. I do love Clueless, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, should we should we should we miscast one of these? And it's really embarrassing later. So it's Stacey Dash. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's got to be Julia Roberts. I think you can't beat Julia Roberts. She was at her height of her powers. I'll go with Tinkerbell, Roberts. <laughs> All right. Jordan's insistence, so we're doing it. Julia Roberts. So we have one final thing to do that will really dictate this movie, I think, is who is directing the other space film in 1993? Nico, why don't you go ahead and start us Oh, my God. I completely forgot about the director. Um, Well, let's skip, Nico. Hold on. Who who was the guy who uh, did the, like, the big comedy director who... Uh, I went Steven on trial Spielberg? with because the helicopter <laughs> crashed and killed people. What? What was his name? No, he's like a big name. He... <laughs> you, you know that? That was a, 
I know exactly this, what this you're was, talking this, about. This was front page news in 93, Jordan. I'm surprised. That monster who killed those people on Twilight Zone. Yes, exactly. Twilight Zone, yeah. <laughs> oh, what is his name, though? He's like he's like a legacy family, too. His son's a, b- a big a big writer now who's also apparently a monster. John Landis. John Landis, Oh, John Landis. John, yeah. All right, well, it's a pick. <laughs> This is po- this is post Twilight Zone, right? So we're getting pick him up during his disgrace period. We get it for cheap. Well, he did the um, yeah. This is him. Like he did coming for America, coming to America. Like he's on his way back up again. Well, that didn't that didn't that is that what killed him? Because he because Eddie Murphy threw him a boat and he ruined it. Yeah, he, he and Eddie Murphy got into a fist fight on the set of that movie. John Landis, great guy, everybody. But it's actually pretty good because we have Eddie Murphy in this movie, right? <laughs> pretty good that's deep all right i i think i went sort of similar to where nico's slot patterns are going i went with the director frank oz hmm fresh up of what about bob what about bob yeah yeah i have two picks and uh, one kind of makes sense one doesn't but the first one i thought was just like all your picks (laughs) robert zemeckis i kind of felt like in his wheelhouse like see it you know uh, and then the second one, this is a real alternate history. Things have things are going to go in a very different direction. But this director goes, you know what? I'm not going to do all these other silly things. James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron's going to make this a huge movie. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I've, with all of Jordan's picks I'm hearing, I do want to kind of watch the bomb he created that like ruins like 25 people's careers. <laughs> James Cameron, it's it's six hundred billion dollars over budget. I don't know. How are we feeling on this one? I kinda liked Landis. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him and Eddie Murphy get in a fist fight on this movie and Julia Roberts just being like, What did I sign up for? Cheech and Chong are there. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this movie, even casting it, you can tell it's a bomb like the show itself. <laughs> I know. Also, I don't think we've ever taken this long before in making a movie and it's an absolute nightmare mess. <laughs> Can we do? Do you have them all written down? Do we know what this movie looks like? Yeah, Nico. I'm gonna let Nico use the director since he's the guest. <laughs> well, I was gonna say for the movie that Jordan has cast, I think James Cameron <laughs> is perfect for that. Um, but I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go with Frank Oz because I had him down for art originally. Oh, okay. Oh, all right, that's so a good Frank, idea. Frank Oz will direct it, and he the, Brando's not in this, so he doesn't have any problems. Wait, did Frank Oz and Marlon Brando have a dispute? Uh, he directed the score. Remember, he, uh, Brando didn't want to take directions from him after he found out that he was the voice of Miss Piggy? Anyways. <laughs> well, he shouldn't have been directing in the voice of Miss Piggy. Yeah. That's on him. <laughs> All right. I'll, let, I'll quickly, since it's been going on so long, <laughs> I'm going to break down what the 1993 feature film Other Space is. Uh, <laughs> so, starring Captain Lipinski... Michael or uh, John, uh, John Cusack, his second in command and sister Karen Lipinski, Joan Cusack, mm-hmm. his crush Tina Shuksha, Amy Sedaris, which is actually great. That's actually great. The dumb but hot Michael Newman, Eddie Murphy, <laughs> the creepy weirdo Kent Woolworth, Dana Carvey, of course the stoner duo of Man and Robot, Zaley Fletcher and Art, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> And finally, <laughs> special guest star, Julia Roberts as the computer <laughs> Natasha. I love this movie. 
all directed by Frank Oz. If if What About Bob didn't kill his career, this <laughs> did for sure. I haven't watched What About Bob in a long time. Has that how has that aged that movie? I don't I don't imagine well. Yeah. Anyways, I, I enjoyed that. That was good. <laughs> Reading back through the list, Julia Roberts sticks out. <laughs> we we spent way too much money getting her to pee the computer you know she just shows up in set and she looks around she's like hold on joan cusack has billing above me (laughs) so they don't actually book julia roberts they just book stock footage of julia roberts (laughs) well i think the key here is just like Hook, Julia Roberts is never on set. We're just shooting her on a green screen with one camera, and she never meets the rest of the cast. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Shall we begin, gentlemen? Here is the IMDb summary for Episode 7, First Contact. An alien appears in Stuart's dreams, but only seems to communicate to Stuart if the dreams are erotic in nature. Stuart enlists both Art and Zalian's medicine cabinet in a dark, humiliating journey to make First Contact. Karen slaps Michael in a rage over his tryst with Tina and has to undergo HR arbitration overseen by an unobjective Tina. And that was courtesy of Anon. Hmm. I think this episode had the most plot we've had. Would you agree with that, Luke? Didn't seem like it had the most the most uh, plate spinning? Ah, uh, the most. I mean... I felt like there were a lot of uh, wheels just spinning for nothing happening. Yeah. Well, regardless of whether it was uh, effective or not, I think this is the first one I can think of that had three pl- three distinct plots. That is true. Happening. It did have an A, B, and C plot this time. Mm-hmm. I, that might be the first C plot, I think. I think you're right there. Yeah. Um, this one uh, starts off because uh, they have <laughs> – sorry, I'm trying to remember what's happening in this episode. They, they, I, I'm still laughing about Julia Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'll stop thinking about it. The the crew is back on track. They're uh the last episode they realized they're gonna go home soon. They're they're told they have a ninety nine point eight percent chance of using this new ripple in three days to go home. And Stuart is still feeling sad because he wants to uh wants to discover something. Jordan's just laughing across from me. He can't stop laughing about Julia Roberts. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. It's just it's so much more entertaining than other space. This movie is so much better. <laughs> He's literally crying. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> uh. But yes, the the crew is excited to go home, except for Stewart. And so he goes to bed that night and wakes up to alert the crew that he's had a dream and in that dream an alien has appeared to him trying to tell him something. So he wants them all to watch his dreams using the Dream Scanner 8000. Uh, to see what this alien has to say. Uh, and when he goes to sleep, the crew just leaves and does not watch his dreams for him. No, I didn't realize at this point, and maybe it's just because I was only half paying attention, I didn't realize uh, what we're going to see later is that they can actually visually see the dream. I thought it was just them monitoring um, like brainwaves or whatever. That's why they were all so bored. Because does it make sense that they were that bored? I'm like, you're going to get to see someone's dream. Isn't that cool? Or is this just like old hat in the future? Well, I think the point is he's claiming that he spoke to an alien in his dreams and they all think that's bullshit. So they they don't want to bother standing around watching his stupid dreams for something that won't happen. Yep. I I guess my the point was, isn't it still cool to see someone's dreams? I guess because they're just that's just boring. That's that's point. Nico, his dream is boring. Nico. How much do you want to see Jordan's dreams? (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to comment that. 
if I'm faced with a screen on Jordan's dreams, I, <laughs> I think I think I would preemptively go out and hang myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Before you let me, you say that. Let me just tell you. Recently, I had a dream where me and Princess Diana had a real argument. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't she also your mother? She was also my mother. I've yeah. heard about this dream already. <laughs> this sounds this sounds like a recurring one for you, Jordan. <laughs> At any rate, um, when the crew sort of gives up on watching Stuart's dreams, uh, Karen happens to notice that as Tina walks out of the room, she's wearing a pair of Michael's underwear. It's got his name on it, so she can see it. And this this drives Karen into a jealous rage because, uh, as we all remember, three or four episodes ago, they had a little fling mm-hmm. during Girls' Night. Yeah. Uh, and Michael also had a little fling when he was stuck on a planet for a year with Tina. So Karen takes him aside and really berates him for sleeping with Karen until it escalates to her slapping him in the face and the computer sets off an alarm because it senses physical violence on the ship. I mean, it does. they didn't really establish their relationship so much, but it's not like it came out of the blue. Like, I was like, oh, okay, sure. So she gets upset about it. Sure. <laughs> I love your reaction. Sure. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's not, it's not hilarious. Nico, was it hilarious? Counterpoint, Nico? Well, no, because th- this is a plot point as opposed to like a thigh slapper. <laughs> it's more of, a, true. more of a face slapper. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Michael then uh, files an HR report uh, over the slap, and it could get Karen dishonorably discharged for it. But unfortunately, the captain would normally arbitrate these HR complaints. But since they're uh, brother and sister, it gets knocked down to the next highest ranking uh, crew member, I guess, not involved in the incident. And it means Tina is going to be arbitrating the case. And uh, unfortunately, from what we've seen, Karen's been saying awful things about Tina all episodes. So she's not in a good mood toward t- Karen. Mm hmm. Yeah, she's not going to be an impartial judge. Did you like the joke when he was like, uh, when he he's filing a report and he says that she's she's not, uh, th- they have a the be a buddy not a bully campaign. That got a good laugh out of you. That was rolling, <laughs> Nico. Honestly, that does get it. <laughs> <laughs> because they they keep coming back to it later on in the episode. Like they they bring it back like one or two more times. That is true. They do they do refer to like be a buddy, not a bully more times in this episode. <laughs> Poor Nico, we're really making him defend the show. Well, I'm just I mean, we're just pushing through plot right now. So, I, you know, I'm just trying to sit tight for the moment. Well, you feel free to jump in and point out your favorite jokes to anyone. Well, well, the thing about that is like, you know, having watched this and come back, Mrs. Noah, if that's what it was called, um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of corporate satire that they aim for in these shows and i feel like that one was actually like yeah it was just like a throwaway joke but i feel like that one's a pretty good satirical gag on corporate lifestyle yeah i thought it was okay yeah i mean it's the show has a a tendency to do sort of non-jokes where people say things as if they're funny and then they all stand around waiting for the audience to laugh and i don't know what the joke is but i i will say I think this is one of their better episodes, episode seven. <laughs> I do. Anyway, while we're waiting for this HR trial to start, uh, Stuart needs somebody to watch his dreams. He's still annoyed that they didn't stick around, so he recruits Art to come do it. And uh, 
Art is forced to sit there and kind of watch as Stuart has a dream where he makes out with Tina. And as he makes out with Tina, the, this robed alien appears in the background and starts, starts speaking to him. And uh, as soon as uh, Stuart sees the alien, he just immediately wakes up so they don't get too far into the dream. But they uh, start theorizing that perhaps the only way the alien could communicate is during sex dreams. Which is a pretty, I think it was a pretty funny idea. Like, I mean, it's such a bizarre thing that, of course, it has to be a joke. But I was like, all right, I, I've never seen that before. Sure. Yeah, Jordan's never seen a sex dream before, so he was very excited. <laughs> That's right. It didn't get that far with Princess Diana. We were arguing. Jordan's never watched someone else's sex dream. <laughs> well not with them knowing um i like i like the sex dream joke because uh, it comes back later i don't know if i'm skipping ahead but they uh no it's fine go for well, it because aunt is already established to be such a puv so it suits well that he's the one watching it but that like the second time we come back to it he he drops a line that uh, he feels yucky watching his acquaintances have sex dreams. I did find it interesting that he like should be so excited, and as soon as it happens, he's like, "I don't like this." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Turns out I feel yucky watching acquaintances have sex." <laughs> and I just, yeah, I just, it was, just, it was just, it was such a matter of frank assessment of what was happening, and those always those always tickle me when it's just so bluntly assessing what's happening. Well, and that's sort of what happens here is they, to get these sex dreams to get more communicative with the alien, they are like, you're going to have to have filthier dreams. Oh, and Luke, let me mention one thing you said, I think it was in the last podcast. Remember we saw the, uh, this cloaked figure on the planet mm -hmm. and you were like, Oh, he's going to come back. And I was like, is he, is it a thing? So you were, you were absolutely right. This is the, season-long arc that they decided in about episode three or four <laughs> that's true this is the same alien we've seen before yeah um they decide that he needs filthier dreams so they go visit zalian who we know is a bit of a stoner and he's got an excessive stash of illegal drugs new cocaine old cocaine oh no it was new cocaine and cocaine classic oh, i actually thought that go. was a pretty good joke there pretty good go. joke any other any other good drugs in there? Does anyone remember? Well, did you actually hear the the drug we're going to talk about that helps you have more erotic dreams? I know they give it a, a nickname of Lammy, Lamafederol. Lamafederol. I, I I watched it like three times. I couldn't understand what he was saying. But yes, Lammy is a, is the slang for this drug. It's supposed to cause extreme sex dreams. I believe is what we're supposed to uh, what we're supposed to get from this. Yeah. And uh, Zalian warns him not to take more than one. So we we know it's like, uh oh, Stuart's going to take a lot of these pills. Yeah. Um, and he proceeds to have a have a, a series of sex dreams, uh, each each sexier than the last. Um, like the first time he does it, he starts having sex with Tina, and the alien appears and it starts giving him a beacon frequency to make contact with. But it, it's uh, I think I believe either he wakes himself up or maybe Art wakes himself up, not enjoying it. And Stewart's is like, well, we have to go back in. So he takes two of them, and the next dream, which is uh, this one, is an interesting comedy beat that I don't know if I found it very funny, but it was interesting as. Tina's, uh, Tina in his dream comes in. She's like, "Do you want to have? Do you want to have my twin join us?" And the twin joins, and it's her fraternal male twin joins them. And this is what breaks Art. This is too much for him. Yeah, I, 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 again, I don't know how well that's aged. <laughs> I thought it was actually a pretty funny joke. I mean, because it's playing on that those tropes that you see all the time. You know, of like, "Ooh, imagine twins. How amazing would that be?" And then it's that little twist. I mean, 
how funny it is, I don't know, but I thought it was uh, it was different. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's just classic comedy right there. I don't know how to, <laughs> how to back that up. Yeah, Nick, what do you think? Fraternal twin, hot or not? Uh, you, you know, to each their own. <laughs> you know, it, it would definitely be uh, exotic, you know, with a, with a fraternal. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. I think we all agree. Yeah. Uh, but this is what this is what breaks art. He can't he can't take it anymore, and he he accidentally wakes up Stewart, and Stewart is just livid. He almost had this code out of this alien, and uh, he basically throws Art out of his bedroom, and then just like eats the entire bag of Lammies. And uh, it's kind of weird. We never kind of see what happens after this moment. All we see is later Stewart will storm into the engineering bay and demand more Lammies because whatever happened when he ate the whole bag apparently didn't work to get the code. And uh, this is where Art steps up to be a pal. He's just like, you're getting addicted to these lammies. And Art eats the last of them, goes into sleep mode, and prevents uh, Stuart from continuing on his, like, lammy-driven sex dream quest. Yeah. We do get the sense, though, that he's been in a weird zone for a while because he looks all, like, exhausted and he's all manic and weird. Uh, uh, Stuart is. Anyway, back to the HR investigation for fun. Uh, Tina is clearly uh, biased against Karen, as we've known from the beginning. And um, Karen decides she's going to attempt a defense to uh, describe why she would have slapped uh, Michael that, that makes sense. And she says, have you ever heard of Italians? They, uh, they have a custom where they'll slap your face as a sign of friendship. It's like uh, you reach across and you get a couple slaps and they're like, it's a really friendly way of doing it. An embello, she calls it. Oh, thank you, thank you. I did not write down the Italian mm. phrase. It was a customary gesture. And she then turns around and accuses the entire court of being racist against her. Yeah, and I, I did think, actually, the line did get make me laugh uh, when she was like, it's been well established that I love pizza. And and I that was so dumb that it made me laugh. <laughs> uh, this, this forces uh, Tina to leave because she's suddenly very worried about being uh, accused of racism. So she needs to go think about the case. And when she leaves, Tina uses the moment to her herself with Michael to immediately start to uh, intimidate him and like f- try to force him to drop the charges. Mm-hmm. And Michael won't do it. And Tina just or Karen just keeps getting more and more steamed. Eventually slapping him once more in the face as Karen walks back in. And now she's, she's Tina walks in. Tina walks in. I cannot keep these characters names straight. At any rate, Karen's caught red handed slapping Michael again. Yeah. Which she's a bad person, right? Yeah. She yeah. should be. She should be removed from. from, from uh, yeah. Good. Well, I mean, the whole point of this was that she's kind of through this audible, this this defense that they hadn't planned on, which was hard to refute. But then she blew it up herself by getting caught doing the thing again it's very weird it, it just keeps digging her into a deeper deeper hole of unlikability <laughs> they make one weird joke here and i don't know if either of you caught it because it was like a real quick throwaway line and i'm gonna ask you to explain the joke to me uh because we're gonna find out later on this is the, why we brought you Nick. <laughs> the uh, part of the third plot is you're Nat- you know the natasha kent thing but natasha says at one point karen wanted me to look up a bunch of uh italian customary practices and she said at one point she goes oh and uh one of them was that lee main was not the original actor playing vito corleone which obviously is marlon brando and the godfather but i don't know who lee main is i don't know what the joke is i even looked it up i don't know who lee main is and what's the joke help us nico did anyone else hear that 
I mean, I remember hearing that one, and I just kind of skipped through it in my brain. I can't really. That, he, that... Was, he was laughing so hard, it kind of gave me. No, but back. I mean, yeah. that's a sort of. That's what I would find is um, a weird thing that this show does all the time is they do these these jokes that look like a joke and sound like a joke but then you go but what is the joke and and but you're already off to another another of them before you can actually think about it i do know the exact scene you're talking about and i also was just like i also just like turned my brain off and moved yeah. on anyways it doesn't matter it just is it, it just is sort of symptomatic of this show i, I won't defend that nico's fuming <laughs> no no I, i'll just save my thoughts for like the the end of the episode or whatever but um okay he's gonna sit here silently well, for the rest of the episode but uh but yeah no that that one just was just you know i thought they were looking for italian things and i don't know. i yeah that one i was just like there's nothing more italian than the godfather quite yeah or Marlon brando <laughs> Anyway, now that she's been caught red-handed, Karen kind of realizes she has been very unreasonable. She uh, tells Michael as much, not quite going far enough to apologize, but essentially setting her up as a little more sympathetic. So when Tina returns to give her a verdict at the end of the episode, um, Michael does ask to withdraw his complaint against her. But Tina denies the withdrawal, and she gives the, uh, I guess what is a big twist for the episode and the series is that she's really mad at Karen from the time they both hooked up at the Academy and then Karen was kind of rude to her after they hooked up. Yeah. It was dumb. <laughs> it's just a dumb way out. Anyway, Nico, Nico thinks it's not. He disagrees. Well, so I will admit that the when Tina drops the we hooked up in college line, I remember thinking, oh, shit, that came out of nowhere. But what I really enjoyed about this B story was Tina. <laughs> Like, Karen and Michael are kind of whatever. They're just kind of the plot point driving it forward. But Tina, for me, is the humor in that thread. Like, when they reveal that she's going to be the arbitrator and she's there in this ridiculous pantsuit uniform. They mention it's a gender-neutral uh, pantsuit. Quite. Uh, you know, so just like that set up. And then when she's arbitrating and it's so clearly against Karen, like, she, to me... She maybe laugh or chuckle, if you will, throughout that storyline. Like even at the end there, where she's talking about how they hooked up with Paul at, at the academy, she talks about how she thought she was quite a generous lover, and it's just that quick, kind of witty repartee that I, I that I enjoy about that storyline, and for me is what makes the show. Well, and it's a big payoff for a joke they've been doing all all season in which Zaylee and Art are perpetually talking about when are the girls going to make out. So when <laughs> Tina announces that she has hooked up with Karen, the camera immediately cuts to Zaylee and Art, and they're both like huge smiles on their faces. Well, for me, what makes that the big payoff for that thread is when someone tells Stuart <laughs> that... Well, that's it. That eventually, Stuart will find out. That is the best. That is the best payoff to that. You're right. I mean, there is something funny to the idea that everyone on the crew is having sex with each other, except for him. Well, well, that everybody's having sex with the woman that he has been yeah. over throughout the whole show. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's sort of how, how this ep- this scene play- pays off. As Stuart bursts in to the trial, interrupting it and preventing, I guess, probably would have been a guilty verdict, never happens now, because he busts in, says he's made contact with the aliens and discovered it wasn't sex dreams that made the alien signal boosted. It was dreams about love. And he tells Art to play the dream he just had. But as they're about to play it, Kent interrupts to say that they're still trying to process that both Stuart's sister and Stuart's best friend, quote, both made sex on Tina. <laughs> Nico loves it. <laughs> I, I, we haven't spoken about the C story at all, but Kent, throughout the entire show, Kent just consistently cracks me up. I would say, I would say he's probably the strongest character. E- even that joke where he's like, um, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's just so... Uh, cold and everything he says also distant so he's like i don't know the euphemisms for this uh, they made sex on each other <laughs> <laughs> that, i mean you're not wrong it's not a bad little line and he delivers it well you know it's uh just talking my favorite joke in this whole episode is when they were talking about stuff and they said they were talking about poop and he said the opposite of poop is pee and then they, and then kent said the opposite of poop is food and i don't know why that line made me laugh <laughs> but it was the opposite of poop is pee anyways D- different strokes, you know. <laughs> your mileage varies depending on your sense of humor. <laughs> now, if one of them had a Julia Roberts show up, we'd all be laughing our asses off. <laughs> Who did we cast as Michael in 1993? That would have been Day. Uh, no, it would have been Eddie Murphy. Sorry, Kent. Oh, that would have been Dana Carvey. <laughs> so we have Dana Carvey and Julia Roberts. <laughs> uh, They're in love. I buy it. She did marry Lyle Lovett in real life, to be fair. Jordan, t- tell us more gossip from 1993. <laughs> <laughs> it was my peak. At any rate, uh, this this revelation devastates Stuart, and he attempts to have Art stop playing this video, because at first he wasn't going to be ashamed of what was in his dream, but now that he's heard that everyone's sleeping with his crush, he's a little more upset. Too late. The dream's playing. The dream is just a montage of Stuart and Tina falling in love by like going on a picnic and She's a pop star who pulls him out of the audience at some point. It yeah. was very evocative stuff of falling in love. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fun. It was cute. It was like the weird things that our dreams are, right? So if you see them out of context, they all seem bizarre, you know, bizarre scenarios. Uh, and in the dream, the alien appears, gives them a beacon frequency, and uh, Natasha, of course, quickly punches it into the computer. And uh, it's a setup because next episode, we're finally going to meet this alien. Mm-hmm. But it's keeps, it keeps coming up. Nico's dying to talk about it. The C-plot. Well, so even <laughs> before we get to the C-plot, uh, the dream, uh, Stuart's dream at the end. Yes, of course. Yeah, well, so it's not just the weird stuff you dream. It's just making him seem even more pathetic. Like that. <laughs> it's true. You know, the he, he tells. It's incredibly wholesome. Well, he tells Tita to put a baby in him. <laughs> And then also at the end, he takes her last name, which I know is like maybe, you know, five years later isn't the most PC joke anymore. But it, it for me, it just all of his dreams are always hyper pathetic. And so that that's what I enjoyed about that sequence was that it in, enforces what a useless sack of shit that he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, a rough, a rough appraisal of our captain. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. It is. It is the idea of uh, of of them being more path- him being pathetic. I I, I wish they would have just. Re- I would have liked them to lean into it a little more. 
it's something I wish they did a lot in this show. Like you, I think I we were talking about the other podcast, and you mentioned it on this one, uh, Indigo, about how art's kind of like a pervert. I think they don't push it enough. You know, it's like if that's how you want you want your character to be this bender like robot, really go for it then. You know, and they sort of tease it. They kind of like, oh, he's kind of creepy. It's like, no, no, make him a real creep. It's funny. Yeah, I mean, I think they don't give Ott any real plot development until episode three when they kick him out into space. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, and then in episode four, that's the um, reality TV episode. So I think it's only like, yeah, by the time they've established his character, it's already halfway through the show. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, not not. Not to belabor anything, we'll move on to the C-plot really quickly. It, it is that Natasha is worried about how her relationship with Kent is going to survive when they get back to Earth. This very rust relationship that's appeared out of nowhere. Um, and since Kate, I, this is what I realized. Kent, basically, his character on the show, is he's Data. He's a non-robot yes. Data. Yeah. And he basically is just like, well, we're not going to have a relationship. Basically, outside of the context of where we are now, we'll never be able to like maintain this. And this quite upsets Karen. She tries a few things to make him jealous, like setting up dating profiles. But since Kent is data, it does it does nothing to him. But Kent realizes that um, she's upset, so he he comes up with some ideas on how to keep them together. And I did like these ideas he comes with up with. He has his three ideas on how to uh, keep him and uh, Natasha together when they get back to Earth. I don't know. Maybe Nico, did you did you write these down? Because you well uh, you were laughing so hard at these. Uh, no, I just I was laughing at the quotes that he says. I got one because the one quote was pretty funny. Well, why don't you? Why don't you, we'll see which ones you get. I've got all three of them written down. So, so the the one the the one that really, really probably got the biggest laugh for me of the two episodes was he says he wants to Frankenstein her into a meat husk. That was the one I laughed at. Of course, you'll be blind. All you would do is scream. <laughs> <laughs> His other ideas are to sell his own organs to buy a cyborg body for her, or to put her brain into a gullible dolphin. Yeah. Oh yeah, they have that whole sequence where they talk about how some dolphins are really clever, and some of them, so they'll have to find a really stupid one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Natasha realizes, as this is that scene you're talking about, Jordan, when she's looking over the HR uh, yeah. information that tells her about the Godfather, she also discovers that in that manual. She is destined to be erased when they get back. Like, her memories will be erased when they return to Earth to reset her for the next mission, basically. So she'll never actually remember the relationship they've had. And that sets us up for the next episode of the doomed relationship between Kent and Natasha. Yeah. Now, of those three plot lines, what do, what did you like the most? Because I weirdly, and I didn't think I was going to be as invested, that's the one I liked the most, the C-plot, weirdly. Yeah, I think the C-plot had the most laughs for me, I would say. Yeah. Nico? Yeah, definitely the C plot. Like anything that Kent is involved in, you know, it, he's just the most out and out engineer of jokes. Wacky. He's the wackiest character. <laughs> but but yeah, but it's the throwaway lines that go with that, uh, and the way he says them. So as you say, data esque. So for me, yeah, a- anything Kent is in is the strongest plot line. I would say this episode, I got Kent the most. Like, once he became Data, essentially, I sort of got him. And I w- mostly I was just like, oh, I think the missed opportunity here is is normally this plot line is like a computer wants to discover what love feels like because it doesn't know. And I think they really should have flipped that on its head and made it like 
Kent doesn't understand love and he's trying like he should have been the robot trying to with like mm. I think they could have like found an interesting game to play there. And it's not really what's happening. Obviously, they you know they're just in love. There's no reasons why or not. But I, when he was so much like Data, I'm like uh, there was probably something cool here, some sort of flip of the script to make him the one who doesn't understand the human emotion of love and the robot trying to teach him about it. Like there was probably some sort of interesting game mm. they could have played. But it doesn't matter because we're we're on to the next episode. That's episode right. eight. <laughs> here is the IMDb summary for episode eight finale. <laughs> That's what they called it. I know. They knew. Guys, we didn't come all the way here not to interact with an alien. Okay, my gut instinct tells me that both our species have a lot to share. Knowledge, wisdom, stories, both folksy and otherwise. Stuart's right. Let's let him in, stun him, probe him for wisdom, and go home. Perhaps some interested parties could cleave off a sample of said alien? Sure can. Everybody gets a chunk. Okay, I'm all for being cautious, but let's not preemptively stun and slice. Are you suggesting that we preemptively not stun him? How is that any less crazy? Okay, is eating it an option that's on the table? Gross. I was just asking. The crew makes contact with an alien at long last, but this historic note is cut short when they realize they have a chance to make it home through an interplanetary ripple. Once again, Anon, thanks so much. Uh, let me mention something that's odd, and I think you mentioned it previously, Luke, is that they really are selling the idea that this is the first contact with aliens, uh, and so it's this monumental, uh, important yeah, piece yeah, yeah. of history. But they already had contact. I kept thinking that, too. They really and, pretend like those never happened. Yeah, so they have to weirdly... That was my kind of comment earlier. It's like they decided in episode three or four what the season-long arc is going to be. And so you have to hand wave a, a way that they've already met aliens previously. And so they're just like – and they even they even do like a line in this be like, what about Dave Franco's character? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah forget about that. Yeah, they're like, no, no, first peaceful meeting. Yeah. And anyways, it's it's fine. It doesn't really change anything. But it just is an odd – an odd thing that they had to have this weird directional change. Yeah, yeah. Nico, defend your baby. <laughs> uh, uh, well, so, like, this episode, well, again, it just shows the pathetic, useless, it's a negative adjective here, <laughs> qualities of Stuart. Like, that's the thing, is everybody else doesn't really give a shit about this, but he's so... Uh, in need of validation that that's the whole point of like that that's the whole driver of the alien thing well i mean yeah i mean he's the only one who's excited and it does become the crux of this episode the do we go home or do we be explorers sort of thing and he's the only one who really has that push and pull because he wants both where everyone else is just like let's go home yeah, I, I mean, and like to defend the show as a whole, I think, and I listened to one of you guys' earlier podcasts on the series. <laughs> like, I, you guys are coming in at it as if it's like, this is going to sound rather damning, but like a whole, <laughs> like a whole arc of a television show, if you know. <laughs> like, you guys were coming in and like, Jordan, you were doing like, analyses of the sci-fi elements of it like whether they're consistent or not <laughs> like oh they well, have this technology now oh no like oh i guess they have well to be fair i didn't tell them to to put this in the future in a sci-fi show you know what i mean listen jordan nico just has our number well that's true <laughs> no I, I understand your point there's a certain amount of nitpicking that is unfair to 
a show where they're just like, we want a gag. And I don't even hate this show. It's it's meh, it's okay. I still think even if something is in the surface of a joke, it should make sense in the universe you've created. And so if it doesn't follow those rules, then the joke doesn't really work, right? So it's like if you show one technology in lieu of a joke, and then you show another technology that doesn't jive with that because you have another joke, well, it's like, well, pick one or the other. Is that fair? Nico, do you think Jordan's fun at parties? <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> If lots of positive qualities, everyone. <laughs> I mean, I can't talk, Jordan. I do this podcast with you. Who am I to talk? I've been to a party with Jordan, and he left by 10 p.m., so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right. You know, well, no, I want, I want, let's let Nico, yes, go ahead. Well, yeah, just, just go, like, again, like, if you're coming at it, like, they've, at the point of, like, a consistent arc of a, universe of a tv show like a sci-fi show that's a bit comedic then yes you're right and i would agree with you and that's you know a pet peeve of mine at other shows but like i think it's pretty clear from the first episode of the show that it's essentially just directed improv so you just have to shut your brain off to any sort of Mm. consistencies or any sort of consistent like drive-through narrative of a sitcom like it's just shut your brain off, enjoy the jokes as they come, and it's in this obviously shitty sci-fi template. I think, and not to belabor this, I think you have a, a very good point, and I think it would be stronger if it was even service of better jokes. Because I, I think you're right, there is this sort of like, it's improv, so who cares? They're, they're making up funny jokes. I think the problem is that more often than not, the joke that they get isn't worth the inconsistencies is is that is that unfair yeah i mean <laughs> i mean i guess that's just improv for you in general is that you know <laughs> you, you bath three you go to the hall of fame you know like only one percentage of shit is gonna land maybe that's true maybe that's true maybe it's an unfair uh i mean unfair i think criticism. we've said that previously your mileage will vary very much on like how you feel about improv about this kind mm-hmm. of humor like I, I i do think it is this is a very remarkably of all the shows we've watched probably very personal taste driven show uh, more yeah. than anything i think we've ever watched well you know you know come back mrs noah was really just a matter of <laughs> well they were classic like racist british jokes <laughs> uh, yeah those are- you know, those are the real ones they get me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, this episode begins. There's an alien spaceship outside. How does that, I, I'm trying to remember, what does the alien spaceship look like? Uh, it was kind of, um, uh, actually, it's not too dissimilar to theirs. It's sort of like a round ball uh, with kind of little bits sticking out. Sort of like a cockroach floating in space. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of looked like... Um, what you would call it, Deep Space Nine. How interesting. Well, we have two very different memories of this. <laughs> I mean, I was just saying, don't come into this thinking too sci-fi-y, and then I drop Deep Space Nine reference. Um, but there's a little spaceship floating outside. They're going to they're gonna meet this alien. Uh, like, the crew has their concerns about whether the alien should come over. Like, some of them want to kill it. Some of them want to be very careful. And so we're just like, let's just invite it over. We want to meet it. And we do cut right to the alien coming over there. It's attached to them the airlock it's it's coming on and it enters and it's it's looks kind of interesting it's in that robe that we saw earlier 
but it's also got like a metal bug mask on. Yeah, it's got like two eyes where like humanoid, like where we have our eyes, and then it looks like it has a third one on its forehead. And that's it. <laughs> and I did like this. I don't know if I laughed at it, but I did find the concept funny is the alien like walks onto the bridge where the entire crew is waiting for it and they all just start to applaud. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I, I don't think I've ever seen that as an entrance for an alien is just applause. So I, I, I'll give that a point. Yeah, I mean, they, they kind of play up the awkwardness of, like, they're these uh, emissaries or these dignitaries, dignitaries, excuse me, um, and they don't really know how to act for this alien who is not acting in the way that we're used to, you know, political interactions. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, I mean... I, that's what I as like political interactions. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're a diplomat, that joke slays. <laughs> <laughs> and the alien comes in, and it's you know it's a little uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. They're meeting truly alien life, and it pulls out a little box. It looks like the uh, puzzle box in Hellraiser or something. It does, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're like, "Oh, what's this going to be?" And at that moment, an alarm goes off because what they're going to find out is the ripple back to their universe is opening early this alarm goes mm-hmm. off it spooks their new friend the alien drops its little puzzle box scurries off the bridge back onto its ship and now they're they're stuck with a new dilemma is that like they only have one hour before the ripple opens so they've got to go home now yeah and this causes the plot to split into the a and b at this point because the uh core like the leadership of the of the ship uh Stuart, Karen and Michael are have to stay on the bridge to essentially do this work, and the rest of the crew is sent back to get into their uh, survival coffins to get ready for the yeah. uh, the the trip back. And as they're the rest of the crew leaves, they're going to go get ready for this. And as they're doing it, they find out the big secret that Natasha is going to be deleted when she gets home, or her memory is going to be erased, and that like there's much she never got to experience of the like human emotion of love. And uh, Tina at this point feels very bad for her and she wants to give her at least one amazing human experience the experience of the first date with kent before that happens and uh they only have 46 minutes left to do it and this is where jordan like flipped a table in his house they introduced that they have holograph technology (laughs) i thought you're gonna say it because but yes they did just introduce this into the show You know, I'll, no, I'll say that. Uh, nitpicky aside, I actually thought this was a very cute and funny plotline, and I, it was the one I liked the most. And like them at dinner, I actually think was pretty funny. The kind of escalation of what they do on the date, but yes, it's like you had this technology previously. Well, this is the part that uh, Nico laughed at is when they said they caught they tell Natasha to put together a quote moderately nice Italian restaurant. <laughs> I feel like moderately nice. Who's making you roll in the aisles, Nico? First of all, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, did you catch the name of the restaurant that she calls it? I, I, no, I didn't. What was it? She, she calls it, she goes, loading up Giovanni's. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, yeah, the one-two punch that Nico meant. <laughs> yeah, in Jordan's defense, the one thing that I did kind of roll my eyes at is the survival coffins happened to be in the holograph room. I thought that you could now just make a holograph anywhere you want. No, no, because there was the, the door very clearly has holograph room on it. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, so I mean that one I did kind of like roll my eyes at, but again, that's the sort of thing that I was talking about is that you just have to shut your yeah, just go with it. Yeah, just shut your brain off to any sort of internal logic and just go with it. 
I'm not sure if Nico was there, but you remember when Mrs. Noah went to the holographic room on that thing? It was the big green screen. They went golfing. I do. Yeah. It was, it was, I think it was the St. Andrew's golf course is what they went to. Yeah. <laughs> if I had known that was coming up, I would have kept watching the show. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, they, they basically arrange a first date for them. And to do that, they basically put Natasha on a, a tablet computer and then strap it to uh, Art's body to give her a body to sit at a table yeah. with Kent at. It doesn't go well because Art's not a very uh, cooperative body. Every time the conversation breaks down, he just starts like shimming around as if to uh, shake his cleavage to entice Kent back into looking at him. Yeah, I thought that was it was funny because it was an ill-advised idea. And then also Kent is busy doing something on his tablet the whole time he's doing calculations so he's not paying attention either way yeah they sort of set, set it up as a bad date like it's like yeah. he's looking at his phone the whole time yeah exactly so tina's pretty upset because she's coaching this date and she doesn't like that art is uh really ruining it so she comes up with a new plan which is she renders herself unconscious and then they strap the tablet to tina's face so that she has a human body and i guess she has they say that she has magnetic wrist bracelets on so that you can kind of do that improv puppeting like loose yeah. arms around. I, I thought that was pretty funny. The physical comedy of her trying to, I can't remember what it is, like grab some bread or something. I think but it's her, shrimp. Yeah, but her arms are all flopping around. I thought that was pretty funny. I enjoyed that. I'll be honest. That sort of physical comedy is the least enticing to me. Oh, see, see, there you go. It's to, to Luke's point, it depends on what you think's funny. I thought it was funnier than most of the stuff was having her flop around. Uh, you know, weekend at Bernie Styles. Give me more. <laughs> Unfortunately, during the date, Natasha feeds Tina some of that shrimp she's trying to grab, and uh, off screen, we're we're told that Tina went into anaphylactic shock. So when we cut back, they're in the uh, I guess the med bay. That was the one thing that bugged me. Isn't that a scene we want to see? I hate when you see like the more interesting scene is her eating the shrimp and then having the having the issues with it but it's just like oh yeah that fun thing happened off scene off screen that, that checks out you just described how you like just people flopping around so you really wanted to see a scene where a dead yeah. armed woman is forced fed a shrimp and then I just, goes to the shock I, I it drives me crazy when i have people describe stuff that i could have seen it's tv it's a visual medium here's the part where i nitpicked jordan this is the one moment where i was just like i don't understand what we see is uh tina's face is completely obscured by a tablet i was just yeah. like how'd she get that shrimp <laughs> i just sit there just thinking about that slide it underneath <laughs> anyway it doesn't matter none of that matters the date is basically a bust tina's getting revived natasha's back on the screen she's very upset like kent was even paying attention to her the entire time they were on the date he was just on his little like wrist tablet but kent comes into the bay and reveals that what he was doing the whole time was he was working on a new device that would allow them to be together and what it essentially is is not what you would think is, you know, what they've kind of hinted at before, which is how do we give this robotic entity a body of Natasha? And they go the opposite direction is what if I digitize myself, which is what he does. Digitize himself. Brain holes, Jordan. Brain holes. Yeah, brain holes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's got brain holes. <laughs> Nico? That joke, I like. I liked that joke. <laughs> I, I, I won't lie. Kent delivered it well. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, on paper, sure, whatever. But the actor really killed that line. <laughs> like, he just says it with such intellectual contempt uh, to whoever he was speaking to. He was like, no, not gills. It's my brain holes, you idiot. Yeah, so and Michael, Michael's just like, oh, you made a thing to shove into your gills? And he's just like, because he's shoving it under his ear. He's like, 
These are not gills. These are my brain holes. Know the difference between these orifices. Yeah, I was all right. Again, like, the more he played up his robotic self, and what he Mm -hmm. does a couple times where he turns on that, like, contempt, that, yeah, that stuff always killed me. It it is true, I'll give him that. The, The character of Kent, of all the characters, has developed the most... Not that it's th- that three-dimensional character, like we're all saying it's just a robot type thing, but they've leaned the most into his character by the end of this series, and I think it's the most effective. I kind of wish they had done it with the other characters, but it's I think it's harder. Like, Michael, what do you do with it? The whole character is that they kind of ignore him. That's it. So there's not that much more you can play with. You know, maybe that robotic leg they gave him at some point. Our last guest loved that robotic leg. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in essence. Like, there are some characters where they're kind of one-dimensional. Like, Karen is just always pissed off. Like, that's her, yeah. that's her character. And Kent is the best because they just peel away more layers of the onion every episode. Like, that's something... Mm-hmm. That was my one of my favorite running jokes was every episode seeing what new disgusting thing <laughs> Kent had right. or was. But, yeah, I mean, there are some characters, like, Karen doesn't grow, but, yeah, that's what I like. Kent is the best one in terms of growth, and that's why he's my favorite. But, I mean, I would even say Michael grows a bit with the mechanical leg and, you know, with the girls' night stuff. Like, I feel like he also grows as well. At any rate, he gets this thing in his brain hole. <laughs> and that allows him to be digitizing the computer, and for the first time, him and Natasha can meet in a, in a, a similar realm and we get a, and we get to see him make out. Yeah, Jordan loved that part. <laughs> he was I really mean, into. Well, it. Uh, it, I mean, it was fine. It's it, you know, it closed that plot, which was and I thought it was I thought it was cute. Anyway, back to the a plot. Back on the bridge, Stuart is telling Karen that uh, they're all gonna go home, and he's just like, "Listen, I come all this way. I really want to be an explorer. I've decided I'm not coming home with you to Earth. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna join my new alien friend on his ship." And we're going to go and I'm going to learn what this universe is about. And Michael very quickly announces that uh, he agrees and he's also going to go with Stuart. So the two of them are going to leave the ship and, and spend their life with this alien entity. They uh, toss on these inflatable spacesuits they own. Yeah. Float over. Uh, I like the floating stuff when they're floating I did through too. space. It, looked, it, was, it was the right level of pathetic, I thought. And uh, they they get on the ship and meet this alien. And it, what they discover is that it's not quite what they expected. Uh, for one thing, we finally get a payoff to who uh, hacked the reality show computers, which I knew the answer to already. But I guess the alien has been watching them via the reality show cameras. So it, I don't know what it's gotten out of that, but it's been watching them. I think the uh, maybe you can correct me. I think the point was it was watching to find out and get like information slowly as to how it could steal their fuel right right so that's really what it was it was just waiting for them to uh, see how the ship operated and through their conversation and i would guess too and i don't know if any of you caught this because when they get on the alien ship it looks quite a bit like their own it's like white and thing and then at some point it flips a switch and it just becomes a gooey rusty mess and so they seem to for some reason be mimicking what the inside of their ship looked like yeah i think it was um uh, it was so, I guess, when they were doing, uh, if they were having contact, like that sort of like classic Star Trek screen-to-screen contact, it would look a lot nicer than what it is. But to what effect, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I was not clear on that either. 
But I, I did think it, that was a, a funny idea when they get to the ship and the first thing you mention is how much it smells. And then when you do kind of get the reveal of it, everything is just dripping with goo. And I, I, I thought I was like, yeah, that's gross. That's funny. And also for some reason, the alien keeps drooling and spitting into its, its Yeah, they, they give it back its its puzzle box and the puzzle. They think it's a great technology, but what it is, it just spits goo into it and then drinks the goo back out. And they're both like, oh, no, gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. I'll tell you my favorite part of their trip to the ship. My favorite part was imagining the writer's room at this point because they get on the ship. They look around and see these. All, all the monitors are like shots of the of the ship back there. Yeah. And they're sitting in the writer's room and the writers are like, oh, no. Neither of the characters we brought to the ship know about the reality show room. How are we going to explain how they understand what these cameras are? And they're like, oh, Michael will just say he's also found the reality show room at some point, and he just didn't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Quick fix. It was so funny to me that they even felt they needed to explain it. Well, they knew Jordan was going to watch, so they needed to uh, <laughs> connect the plot points. Because it was just fine. It was very funny. I just it was always one of those things where like they over explain something to you that I would have never I would have never questioned. Like, why is this person slightly older than this other person? Like, I wouldn't have noticed. You could have just yeah. moved on. <laughs> anyway, the whole point is they get there. It's not quite what they expected. It's a lot slimier. It's a lot smellier. And uh, Stewart's looking around and he's trying to like find. I always does. He's trying to find the silver lining. And he's like looking around the ship. He's like, well, "There's a lot we can learn here." Like, look, they have hose technology. And they follow that host technology and realize that the alien is just siphoning fuel out of their ship. Yeah. And there's a weird thing, too, that the, the alien doesn't seem uh, doesn't seem bothered at all by them. Or Completely like, uninterested. Just like, yeah, great, you're on the ship. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I didn't mind that from this alien. It seemed very alien at this point. Like, it seemed, like, mm. totally, like, unknowable. I agree. So I did like the idea that it was just like, oh, well, it doesn't care about them because it has no, like, it just doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I like the, you know... It completely ignores it and then ignores them and then starts to steal their fuel like that that was a nice little twist that i that i enjoyed yeah i agree i think the alien up until it's finally revealed who the alien is worked and then it fell apart i agree too uh, the reveal ruined it for me but up to that point i really like this the the idea of just the alien who's just like yeah i gotta steal your fuel sorry that's it <laughs> Um, so they, they give up, they leave this alien ship, Michael and Stuart return to the cruiser and basically discover with, with Karen that like almost all their fuel's gone at that exact moment, the dimensional rip opens and this little alien thief ship just starts heading toward the rift. It's going to go. And then Karen's like having a meltdown because like to her character's point, like what she's seeing is they've allowed an alien invasion of earth. And it's like, she can't believe that she's let that happen on her watch. She like let this all slip by even though she was in charge of the ship when this fuel was stolen. Mm -hmm. And as, as it hits that ripple, as it's going toward this thing, they're scanning it and they're like, oh, that's weird. It seems to be an all boron atmosphere in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh... And a very large, a very giant alien spaceship appears in the rift. It's a like, you know, very menacing large yeah. spaceship. And it fires a laser and blows up the aliens, the alien thief's tiny little ship by comparison. It explodes, and they realize that uh, that rip was to a different universe entirely. It would have never brought them home, and they were only saved because that thief alien stole all of their fuel and tried to like jump into the rift itself. Yeah, um, and it's it's at this moment that they reveal the biggest twist of all. <laughs> When the alien shows up? No, no, not that. The biggest twist of all is Natasha gets a message from the reality show computer oh. inside of the ship. Yeah, I, 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 
I didn't get how this is going to be useful at all. Like, let's say they were going to have a second season. That's what I assume this was kind of going to play for. But does this does this work at all? Well, the message from the reality show ship or reality show like thing on the ship is that it's it's detected a climax. It's detected the climax of the season. So it's now cut together a sizzle reel for a show called Spacing Out that's just about their time in this universe. And it's just like a clip show of all the season one of the of, of what we're watching Outer Space, but a, as a reality show called Spacing Out. And they watch it and they're like, okie dokie. Here's what I didn't understand. So we learned, and Nico, I don't remember if you rewatched all the episodes, but we learned in episode three or whatever it was that the ship at one point was used for an MTV reality show. Sure. So there's cameras all over. Great. And what did they call it? It was like real world moon or something Moonferno. Like that. Yeah, Moonferno. Fine. That, that works. But I didn't understand this. Shouldn't it have been a clip show of that show if the cameras were all going? Like the cameras independently created a new TV show? They created a, a teaser for teaser. I it? guess we're supposed to know that there's an AI reality show director. I see. I Okay. I'll let Nico speak in a second. <laughs> But I just want to say, I thought the biggest misbeat here was I thought what they should have done, and I think this is the biggest mistake they made of the entire show, is they should have watched this teaser for this t- first episode of this TV show this computer built for them, and that sh- show should have been called Other Space, and that's what we should have been watching all along. Like, hmm. that should have been the joke, is that we've always been watching a reality show created by a computer inside of this machine. Right, but they would have had to up the... Um... The conventions of reality TV, though. I don't think they would have. I think it would have just been a fine joke to be like, hmm. what you're watching at home is the fake show that this robot made on this show. Yeah, maybe. I will say that that involves way too much thought for this show. <laughs> that, that involved way too much effort in the writer's room to, <laughs> to set that all up, like as an audience member to follow. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been a lot. Do you think at some point the show they thought they have calling the show Spacing Out? Like the actual other space show? Do you think that was a working title? Uh, sure. You know, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't analyze that aspect too deeply. He, he just, he had mentioned he was drinking cider the whole time. So he, he doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> this is this is true. It's all kind of blurry to me at this point. But by the, fi- by the final hour, it was all over. <laughs> but by the, by the end, I was calling Carantina. <laughs> it's a real problem. I can't tell those two apart. <laughs> At any rate, this reveal's done, and then we get the final, final reveal. As the sh- as the episode ends, as season one comes to an ending, Art enters the bridge, and he announces that somehow he's caught that alien who stole the fuel. Apparently, it somehow got off its own ship before it exploded, got across space, snuck into the lower decks of the UMP cruiser, and Art caught it down there. They bring this alien on, and the alien finally reveals it. It takes off its bug mask, its metal bug mask, and it's just, like, very humanoid. It's a very humanoid alien underneath. It's kind of got, like, imagine Bajoran nose ridges, but put on your forehead. Like, that's what it looks like. That's the kind of alien it is. And it announces that it is being hunted, and now that it is on the UMP cruiser, they are also being hunted. Yeah, and I'm I'm fine with that. Like, oh sure, we're setting up for the next season. But I was disappointed that they brought an alien on, but then they made it with human like qualities, right? Because I think it's funnier if you're gonna add that alien character, have it be the weird drooling 
alien who doesn't really care anything about the crew. Isn't that funnier? I think I think that joke is funny when they're interacting with it for one episode. I don't know if you could have continued that joke over another eight episode season. Oh, I think this show could have. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see, I like it, it's in keeping with the show that she was essentially very humanoid with some shitty alien makeup on. Like it, it, it was taking the piss out of like those cheap sci-fi shows like it had that vibe throughout the whole time so it's in keeping with the show that she looked like that and i think the character itself when they introduce this alien and like how the actor behaves and things it's like much closer to the fit like it's a little incompetent it's a little like a bit of a liar like it really fits in with like basically what the rest of the personalities on the ship are yeah. so I, I get the concept though i do agree jordan i'd rather see the drooling monster who cares nothing about them at all <laughs> An entire silent episode where everyone's just sitting around watching it drool. That's what I want to see. <laughs> but, but an entire silent episode, but in the frame of a reality TV show. That's right. A hundred percent. Now yeah. we're talking. Now we're talking, you guys. <laughs> but that this is how it wraps up. This is the cliffhanger. Next season, they've got a new crew member, and they're being hunted by something. Mm-hmm. Uh, no new season, though. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> that was it. That's all she wrote. Until Paul Feig gets what he wants, which is he wants a second season. And Paul Kit and Paul Paul Fig wants it. Paul Fig gets yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any final notes? I know Nico, you you were teasing. You have a lot to say. You wanted to wait to the end of the episode to say. Well, no, I kind of said it already now. But I think, like, listening to listening to your guys' earlier episodes, like, you can you have to. I think you guys came at it from the wrong angle, like you. Like you came at it as either a workplace sitcom or as a sci-fi show, and it's really just like a cheap, frankly, you know, Yahoo web series that they put in a shitty, cheap sci-fi setting. And so, if you just if you take everything with the, that grain of salt, then I then you really enjoy the show, and there are some quippy lines that you can really enjoy without having to think about the setup of. Do they have holograph technology? (laughs) (laughs) I I understand. I understand your point. And it's, and you know, uh, part of the issue of sometimes these things is that we are doing a podcast. You are watching these things and looking for details and things to talk about and things that are interest. And I said it from the beginning, I don't hate this show. Um, I wish it was better. I wish it was funnier. I actually genuinely like the actors and performers on this show. And I feel like, there's more they could have done and even in the improv like we we joked before it's like it's like the first take it's like well no keep there's something better you guys could do something better than what than what we got and i generally like the concept of the show and even like the humor style i just think that after eight kind of episodes you start getting a little bummed out about how how little they seem to want to push anything you know like i mentioned before there's no real over uh, there's no real vision to this show. There's no uh, real point to it. So it's just like, like you're saying, there's nothing wrong with it. Just being like, yeah, hey, we're just 20 minutes wasting time. But that is the kind of feeling I'm left with that I'm like, did I just waste my time? Yeah, I like I'll concede there. There's a lot of stuff that does just kind of fly in from nowhere or a lot of stuff that doesn't go anywhere. Like I will concede there is a lot of dead weight in the show. But in essence, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy it what it is i will say i'm embarrassed because this is our podcast and uh, we should do a better job but we don't we don't we do no better do a better job but i was i wasn't until these final two episodes that i realized like i knew 
Zalian. I think it's Joel Hodges who plays Zalian. Yeah. I knew he was from Mr. Shine's Theater 3000. And so is Art. I didn't know Art was also from Mr. Shine's oh. Theater 2000 because we never said it on the oh, show. Oh, I thought we mentioned it before, but yeah. yeah. Maybe I from. just shut it out. I don't know. But I was like, as soon as I found that out, I'm like, oh, that's why those are the two characters with the most chemistry on the show because they've been doing this for decades. <laughs> They're the Cheech and Chong show. Yeah, exactly. They're a perfect combination. <laughs> Cheech and Chong. All right, gentlemen. I think Nico's made some great points. I think Jordan's made some okay points. <laughs> yeah, that's probably about right. Uh, why don't we rate these episodes? Uh, starting with First Contact. Nico, you know how this works. Out of out of a 10, a possible 10, what do you give First Contact? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed this show, uh, this episode, I mean. Uh, and certainly compared to Comeback Mrs. Noah, <laughs> which I, I can't remember what score I gave that, so... But this was leaps and bounds better than that. So uh, I'm you gonna... gave it three crumpets, I think. Oh yes, quite. Yeah, th- three. Crumpets. I know you love people making crumpet comments. Th- three crumpets and half a muffin. <laughs> uh, but no, I- I'm going to give this uh, episode an eight. Eight out of ten. I'm glad you're here. Like this is why I'm glad someone who genuinely enjoys the show is here to like attempt to redeem our scores on it. I think that it's nice to have. Well, I'll tell you, I'm not that far off because I said it before. Episode 7 is my favorite episode of the series. I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Luke, this is really un- Oh, it's a 2. This show sucks shit. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Oh, it's wonderful. Wait, have you have you gone anywhere past a 2 in any of the episodes? No, I've never felt any more than a 2 for this show. And I'll say it right now. Finale, that's a 2. <laughs> It's like it's it's worth three chuckles an episode. That's that's all the show is worth. I'm gonna give the finale a six out of ten, because uh, I I didn't like it as much and I was disappointed in the reveal. But it it's all right. And Nico? Nico, raise the bar for us. Well, you know what, this episode. So I love episodes like four to seven of this show. Like it takes a little bit to hit its stride, and then it's great. My thing with episode eight is it feels like it's just trying to tie up a lot of loose ends. So I'm going to go down on this one. I'm going to give this one a six. All right. Well, should I find out what the uh, series average for the show is? Oh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's, uh, what, what's the thing called? Continuum Drag Computer? Let's, uh, let's power it up. <laughs> See what the score is. We never established technology, Jordan. People are going to nip We have holograms? You guys, I'm ready. I've got the series average for other space do you guys want to guess where other space is coming in it's gonna be really low because you never went above a two so it's got to be like i'm gonna say 4.1 we add some sort of like inflation to luke's (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna add some gas price in this one and it goes up by a quarter of a point every every episode well here's what's coming in it is coming in at 4.29 yeah i actually think I think that's lower than what I would give the show as an as an overall. I think it's higher than I would give the show as an overall. So we're we're I think we're evening out. Yeah. Wait. So out of curiosity, what was the overall score for Comeback, Mrs. Noah? Do you want me? I'll find out right now. Let me punch to the computer. We have the technology. Like I like this show better than Mrs. Noah. No question about it. Mrs. Noah was terrible. <laughs> that was the redeeming factor for that show. So the series average for Comeback, Mrs. Noah, was 
2.44. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> let me let me say this though. It's a bad show, Mrs. Noah. More memorable than other space. <laughs> Uh, you might have a point. I think we said this before. I have a feeling that we're not going to remember this show, not as a real negative thing, but just I don't think there's that much to grab on, you know? They both have a robot chicken, and I'll only remember one of those robot chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll give that to Ms. Noah. It was a funnier uh, visual gag than they did on this show. I'll give them the one horrifying chicken joke. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna stay with you till you die honestly it's traumatic <laughs> well that wraps it up thank you nico for joining us again uh i'm glad we could bring you on for something that you love well, something not a from the 70s and b fake british <laughs> jordan really did pigeonhole you there yeah you're an expert yeah i, I had to reach out for this one in order not to get typecast <laughs> begging jordan via text message let me let me on exactly yeah yeah otherwise he ignores me <laughs> i am glad we brought someone who loves the show on because i did feel like it was not working for jordan and i but i've seen the comments on this online i know there are people who really enjoyed this yeah. show the youtube comments on the first episode are nothing but glowing so i really do think mileage is going to vary from person to person so i know i gave it a two and i have told it that it sucks shit a lot but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just suck shit. Well, I I hope we gave it a, a fair shake. I hope. I mean, what is it on Ron? Yeah, it's eighty five percent on Ron Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, and I just have awful taste. Maybe. And it's seven point one on IMDb, which is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Four point two nine. All right. That wraps it up. So, uh, listener, you can email us continuumdrag@gmail.com if you uh, have anything you want to tell us. Uh, I don't know. We always say it, and sometimes we hear from you. Yeah. Maybe I'll do something about it one day. Maybe I'll read an email on on air. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Who knows? And on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips from this episode. Uh, alien spitting goo into a box. Um, what was funny? <laughs> oh, the, the I think the um. Nico didn't like it, but when she was flopping her arms around, that was kind of funny. <laughs> we should never, all three of us, have tried to make the feature film of this movie because, like, <laughs> anything any of us enjoys is so desperate from the other person's enjoyment. <laughs> we Frankenstein'd our old meat husk. <laughs> That's why it was number 75 at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all those clips will be on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag. You know what the film is missing? Whoopi Goldberg in at least, in at least three of the roles. <laughs> <laughs> we could have we could have nutty professored her. She could have been all yeah. over this movie. <laughs> and that wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.